Let me say thanks to everybody who's here this morning. It's a mixed, time of mixed emotion for me. On the one hand, I'm just so happy to see each of you, and um, you know, to, to actually see people is a real thrill right now. Um, and to get to see whole families together. When I, sometimes I get to see mom or dad, uh, just one of you maybe, and uh, to see a whole family, to see couples together, it's it's great. Uh, at the same time, um, I thought of this passage as I stood in the, in the back of the room this morning. Uh, Jesus talks about the, the the flock being scattered, stricken and scattered, and and um, there's this feeling of um, just some sadness today. Of as great as it is to be together, some of us here in the room, um, the world is broken and something has happened that has scattered us. And we can't wait until that something has been dealt with in a way that we don't have to be scattered anymore. So if you're out there uh, participating from your home or um, with others, maybe by Zoom, however that works, if you're here in the room this morning, let's, let's pause for a moment and ask God to be with us as we get ready to read and hear from His Word together. Lord, would you help us to practice now what we've been hearing and singing and praying already today, which is that we want our hearts to be open to you so that we can find rest in you. So would you help us now not to keep our hearts closed to what you have to teach us from the Scriptures? Because what you mostly have to teach us this morning is yourself. Make us ready to hear from you to honor you, to listen to you. Amen. So we've been uh, going this summer through some psalms. We'll shift gears next week and and keep up the same theme from the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. But the idea is we're living in a time where it seems like nothing is normal. And um, the psalms equip us to deal with times like that, um, these times when everything seems to be turned upside down, when, when even simple routines take lots of extra effort, and, and things as simple as getting together and um, knowing how to greet each other take a whole lot of thought, and something as routine for a church as gathering for Sunday morning worship suddenly takes 20 people three weeks to plan And we still don't get all the details thought through. And it ramps up the levels of anxiety and stress. So some of you may be familiar with this report done by the American Psychological Association in 2018 called Stress in America with a focus on Generation Z. Um, One of the things that they found is that several news items that were uh, current and, and, and big crisis items when this study was done were generating lots of stress in adults. Things like mass shootings and the increase in suicide rates and concerns and anxiety about climate change, uh, how immigrant families were being separated, deported, th- those kinds of policy issues In the news, constant reports of sexual harassment and assault. The news constantly full of those headlines back in 2018. 
and almost every adult reported some level of stress in response to these news stories. What was really stands out as you read this report, though, is that among Gen, Gen Z, Generation Z, that's kids roughly in age today, between 8 and 22 years old. So today, if you're somewhere between 8 and 22, it's hard to know exactly where to cut those things off, right? You're part of Gen Z. And if you responded to this survey, then you rank your stress consistently 12 to 20% higher than any other adults did. So we live in a world where, where things are constantly stressing us out, but Gen Z is more stressed than the rest of us. And let me just take a moment to say, I, I really want you, if you're in that age group, to hear a lot of comfort from God's Word today. This is for you. If you have grandkids in that age group, if you have parents in that age group, if you're a teacher, if you're a Cub Scout leader, if you, whatever you are, your interaction with people who are between the ages of 8 and 22, it doesn't matter whether these things stress you out. They're stressing the young people you know out. So may, may God not only comfort those who need it, but enable us to comfort others as we are able now, that study was done in 2018. This is 2020. If we wanted to add to the list a couple of other stressors, I suspect we could, right? How about a pandemic? How about recent events in our nation related to racial injustice and tension and the need for progress in those areas? So many huge issues around us all the time. We can't solve them all. We look at some of them and say, I can't even fully understand them. And that leads to anxiety. And the question, is it possible to find rest in the middle of a world that's turned upside down where nothing is normal? Psalm 131 says, yes. So let's listen as Peter Pay reads for us. From Psalm 131. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 131, a song of ascents. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not halting. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a winged child with its mother. Like a winged child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kind of tempting as we listen to that psalm to say, yeah, but they don't live in the same world we do. Like, if you looked at the image that the American Psychological Association chose to put on the cover of their report about stress in America with a focus on Generation Z, you saw what the image was, right? It's, it's a bunch of teenagers sitting on a wall all holding smartphones and looking at their screens. And it's tempting to say, look, I live in a world where I'm constantly bombarded by all of these 
headlines that come from all over the world. Nothing bad can happen anywhere in the world without me knowing about it immediately if I want to. And this psalm was written for people who lived in a very simple world. What did they have to be anxious about? It's tempting to think that way. It's not loving to think that way because we'd be saying the people who read this psalm weren't really human. But they were. Let's read like a pilgrim for a moment. The psalms we've been studying are songs of ascents, uh, going up, ascending to Jerusalem three times a year. Um, every Israelite male was called to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate a festival, whether it was Passover or then a few weeks later, the Feast of Pentecost, or several months after that, the Feast of Tabernacles. And families would make this journey together multiple times a year, traveling up to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts, And what songs would they sing? The songs of ascents from here in the book of Psalms. And uh, let's read like a pilgrim for a moment and see what kind of anxiety might have been present in the hearts of those for for whom this psalm was written. Notice that verse 1 says, My heart's not proud, O Lord. My eyes aren't haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. That language of things that are great and wonderful is repeated throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, but it's usually, it's usually spoken when we're talking about things that God has done. He is the only one who does great and wonderful things. He is the only creator who does great and wonderful things in creating and designing and sustaining the world. He is the one and only Redeemer who does great and wonderful things for the rescue, redemption, salvation, renewal of His people. And so when the psalmist says, I don't concern myself with great and wonderful things, it's not saying, you know, I'm putting my phone down and I'm just going to ignore reality. It's not saying, I will never take calculus because it is a thing too great or wonderful for my tiny math brain to handle. It's not saying, I'm not going to think about racial justice, because that's just too complicated, and I'm just going to be a simple Christian and not worry about complicated stuff. This is a way of saying, Lord, you're the only creator, you're the only redeemer, and when I come up to your temple... To worship you, I should come with humility because I know there are things about governing this world as creator that are beyond my wisdom. There are things about renewing and redeeming and restoring sinners that I would never have thought of. So let's imagine going up to the Feast of Pentecost and uh, what might a pilgrim have been thinking of? Well, They might be thinking, I don't understand creation. Hey, Lord, I'm coming up to worship you, and and before I'm here again in Jerusalem for the next feast, figs and grapes and olives and dates all have to be harvested, and it's the dry season. Will there be enough rain? Will there be enough food to store up for the winter? Will there be enough not only to feed me, but my whole family? Not only those who live under my roof, but, but other neighbors in our village. Will there be enough for us? 
I don't understand how the cycles of weather and rain work. I don't know ahead of time whether there will be enough. You're the only creator. And while we're at it, Lord, at this Feast of Pentecost, I'm bringing ten animals to sacrifice. Seven sheep, one bull, two goats. And the first place in the Bible that describes this feast, Leviticus 23, says that when I bring in my crops of dates and figs and grapes and olives over the next few months, I should leave some in the corner of the field for the poor. Can I afford all this? Will there be enough money? Am I going to be able to recover from the financial sacrifice of offering 10 healthy animals in worship to you? So it's tempting to say, you know what? These people lived in a simple world. They didn't sit on a wall with a smartphone. They were kind of naive. They had nothing to worry about. Yeah, nothing except we don't know what the future holds, and we don't know if we're going to be able to survive through the next several months. I don't understand. I don't understand issues about redemption. If we went to the Passover feast, it was in order to remember how God delivered our people from slavery. You think there are any questions around that? Hard questions? Lord, why'd you even let your people go into slavery to begin with? The Feast of Tabernacles, camping in these tents, right? To remember how God led his people for 40 years through the wilderness. Lord, why did you bring us into this land only to let our kings become so corrupt that our whole nation will be taken into exile? You brought us out of slavery to Egypt so that we become slaves to the Babylonians. This is your plan for redemption? What were you thinking? And the only hope you give us in the middle of it is to take a little bit of blood and wipe it over the doorpost? What are you thinking? That the shedding of blood is enough to undo all of this? We don't understand. We're just simple Israelites, pilgrims going up to the feast, living in this simple little world where there's nothing to worry about, right? There's always plenty to worry about, plenty to keep the American Psychological Association busy because, because we live in a world that's full of reasons for restless anxiety. So we're tempted to read this psalm in another way, to read not like worshipers going up to a feast with a heart of humility, but to read like moralists. Moralism is this stance that says, I can do better. I will try harder. We can figure it out. We can fix it. We can change ourselves. We can make the world right if we just work hard enough. So the temptation is that all this anxiety and stress then prompts us toward autonomy. I need God less because I'm, I'm so busy worrying about how to fix everything and how to be better and how to try harder. I don't need you yet, Lord, because I'm not done fixing it. So the anxiety leads to increased effort And we hope the rest will come 
from that. It's, it's, a, it's a cycle that's unhealthy. And uh, if you look at it from the outside, you know it's unhealthy, right? This is a recipe for disaster. If every time I respond to anxiety by increasing my efforts to fix it myself and depend less on God because I can do this, is that going to lead to rest? No. It's going to lead to more anxiety. <laughs> more effort, more anxiety, more effort, more anxiety. But we keep hoping that somehow we'll get to the rest. And you can even read the psalm that way, can't you? Like, hey, everybody, I've been working really hard to fight against pride, so my heart is not proud. I've been trying harder to do better about being humble, so look at me. My eyes are not haughty. I've been fighting harder to get rest. The rest of you suckers don't know how to still and quiet your soul, but I've been working harder. I have stilled and quieted my soul. So Israel, y'all be like me. I've fought. I've found a way to put my hope in the Lord now and forevermore. You need to be like me because I've got it together. Not the right way to read this psalm. I don't want to read like moralists. The psalm invites us to read like a child. That's the image that it uses, isn't it? I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. I didn't do this myself. I have to be with someone else for this rest to happen. My soul within me is like a weaned child. It's a picture of rest. It's a picture, I believe, of a satisfied infant who's been nursing at his mother's breast and, and is full and ready for a nap now. Now, some of you will go, Egan, you don't understand vocabulary because weaned means, you know, older toddler who's not nursing anymore. I get it. Uh, the, the Hebrew word here means a child that is finished. So that, that could be a description of a child who's finished nursing altogether, weaned, a toddler. Or it could be the nursing infant who is finished before now. I, I, I think the logic of the psalm points more toward that conclusion. Either way, this is a child who's happy to go find mom and rest in her arms. Think of that picture of the infant, right? How fretful the infant is when they're hungry and, and things aren't right and they can't be calm and satisfied and, and, and there's whining and there's fussing and there's crying and then baby eats and then baby's happy and then baby's full and baby sleeps and rests. Why? Is it, because, is it because the baby figured out how to solve all the problems in the world? No. Is it because the baby lives in a simple world where nothing is wrong? Ask mom. Is the world still complicated while baby's sleeping? <laughs> Ask mom. The baby rests 
because of how glorious the mother is. The baby rests because of how loving she is. The baby rests because of how fully satisfying she is for all that the baby needs. If you could ask the baby, what's going on in your mind right now? Baby would say, my mom is good. She is safe. When I'm with her, I have everything I need. It's a totally different kind of rest where our anxiety causes us to focus on God's goodness, and then the rest comes. Now, if you're sitting on the wall with your smartphone in your hand, you're maybe saying, mm, okay, boomer. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm Gen X. I'm not a boomer, technically. But is this psalm saying, just pretend away the reality of the world? You know, when life gets hard and those news headlines cause the stress levels to ramp up, just ignore it. Just, just imagine that it's not there. Just act like a tiny baby. Is that, is that really what God is saying to us? The answer is no. This psalm is written to people who live in the real world. They know what real mother-child relationships are like. And in a real mother-child relationship, while the baby is nursing, the mother is looking out at reality with all of its scary complexity. Mom hasn't forgotten how hard the world is while baby's resting. Mom still knows that there are so many things happening out there in the world. She's looking out at reality, but in that moment, the baby is only looking at mom and resting. This is a picture of our relationship with God. He is offering himself to us in the moments when we feel least able to rest, in the moments when the world feels most upside down, and there are matters so great that we couldn't begin to figure them out, There are things so wonderful and glorious that only his infinite wisdom and power could understand how to deal with them. In those moments when we feel so completely overwhelmed, we can look to him and say, Father, you are my creator. You are my redeemer. You have greater wisdom than I will ever understand. You have more power than I could ever imagine. And when I am overwhelmed, I simply need a chance to come to you. And let you look out at all the world, and for just a moment, can I look at you? Can I come to you and rest? And God says, well, this is what God said. Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. Jesus, come to me All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You need to come and rest, and God says, I give you my son. Come to him and find rest rest not just relaxation not just recreation not just entertainment 
Those are good gifts from God. There are times when we need those. But this is a different gift because you can do a whole lot of relaxing while your heart is still chewed up with anxiety. You can do a whole lot of recreating while you're still trying to figure out how to fix it yourself. Real rest, where we have that moment of freedom from anxiety, that season just for a time to rest from all the frantic fussing and efforts to make it better ourselves. An opportunity to enjoy God the way that baby enjoys its mother. God gives us himself in the person of Jesus so we can have that kind of rest. Why am I saying all that? Here's why. I really love you. I love you. And I'm afraid right now that a lot of you are spending your time focused on all the broken realities of this world and not taking any time to pull back and rest in God. And I don't want you to go where that's going to take you. I know where that goes because I walk that path so often myself. (laughs) I don't want you to go there. God doesn't want you to go there. It leads to despair. Because if you sit on the wall looking at your smartphone all day every day, then at some point you will go, there is no hope for any healing in our world. For every good headline I find, I can find ten more that undid all that good. And I will think there is no hope. It will never get any better. No matter what I do, it won't be enough. And that's going to lead to burnout. The only hope is if I do everything right now myself. And some of you are feeling that right now. Okay, look, I grew up in a generation where we were kind of clueless socially, where I didn't care to found a a charity when I was in middle school. I I didn't really concern myself with issues of, of how to make life better for other people. I was just trying to finish my homework so I could go to bed without having to worry about the teacher fussing at me the next morning, right? But we're, we're living now in a generation where, where young people are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. I don't want you to be driven to this place of despair, and I don't want you to feel like you've got to take all that weight and heap it up on your shoulders and carry it all right now. Jesus is offering you a season of rest. The time will come when he will send you out to do his work in the world, and you can go for it. But there are times when you need to still and quiet your soul. Let him look at all the hard reality of this world, and for just a few moments, you look only at him. I love you. I want you to be able to set those burdens aside. Let him hold them for a time. And you look at him. When do you slow down to look at him? When do you let him hold all the pain while you rest in him? Our hope is that happens for us every week in worship, whether that's happening in a place together like this or 
happening as we're gathering online, that this is an opportunity for us to rest in Him and be renewed and let Him hold it all for a while while we simply remember that He is all we need and we are safe in His arms like that little baby. Maybe you get there by listening to music, some of your favorite songs, worship songs, songs that help you focus less on what's happening in the world and more on the one who can heal it. Maybe you have a prayer guide or Bible study guide that that you use to do this. Maybe it's conversations with a mentor or a friend. For me, it involves using this tiny little brown journal that uh, every week I look at our worship guide from Sunday morning and I ask, Lord, what is it in there that can help me find rest in you in the coming week? And so a couple weeks ago is Psalm 28, which we used as a call to worship. Then last week it was this confession of faith from the Heidelberg Catechism about how to rest in Christ and what he has done. I sit in the closet on every, every morning and I know the anxiety is coming. I know it's going to hit me like a ton of bricks. And I know I got to get out in front of it and find some time to rest with Jesus before it totally overwhelms my soul. I I don't know if you have a little journal. I don't know if you need a little journal. That might not be the best way for you to still and quiet your soul for those moments when you just look to Jesus. Remember, let's, let's hear the psalm the right way. We're not putting our hope in our ability to rest well. We're not putting our hope in our ability to write the right thing in the journal. We're putting our hope in the one who holds us while we rest and look at his face. We're putting our hope in the Lord. That little infant didn't figure out how to calm itself. That little infant is calm and sleeping because the mother is all that baby needs. Jesus is offering us himself. That's even better than Jesus offering us rest because when we find him, we will find the rest. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord Jesus, we still and quiet our souls right now before you. Quiet those voices that are asking, when will this be over so I can move on to the next thing on my to-do list? We're going to quiet those voices that are asking, did I do okay? Was that an okay sermon? Or was that a really bad one? Or no, it would have been better if I'd done this. We're going to still and quiet the voices that are saying, that these promises aren't really for us. They must be for somebody else. We're going to quiet ourselves before you and receive the gift that you are offering. 
something better even than rest. You're offering us yourself. Give us empty hands ready to receive all that you are. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.